The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. One of the twelve, who is called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I betray him to you? They paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he took his place with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him, one after another, Surely not I, Lord. The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Though all become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. Truly I tell you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray, that you may not come into temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, 
he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him. At once he came up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you are here to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly, one of those with Jesus put his hand on his sword, drew it, and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which say it must happen this way? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, as though I were a bandit? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But all this has taken place, so that the scriptures and the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, in whose house the scribes and the elders had gathered. But Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards in order to see how this would end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it up in three days. The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But Jesus was silent. Then the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ. Who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you were talking about. When Peter went out to the porch, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are also one of them. 
for your accent betrays you. Then he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know the man. At that moment, the cock crowed. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus in order to bring about his death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since they are blood money. After conferring together, they used them to buy the potter's field as a place to bury foreigners. For this reason, that field has, become, has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one on whom a price had been set, on whom some of the people of Israel had set a price, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But Jesus gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that innocent man, for today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? All of them said, Let him be crucified. Then he asked, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowds, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, His blood be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed, them he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and after twisting some thorns into a crown, 
they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he wants to. For he said, I am God's son. The bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. At once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake, and what took place, they were terrified and said, Truly, this man was God's son. 
Many women were also there, looking on from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee and had provided for him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. So Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. He then rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember what that imposter said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise again. Therefore, command the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may go and steal him away and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. And the last deception would be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went with the guard and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone. The cross stands as the world turns. This is the motto of the Cistercian Order of Monks, founded in the Middle Ages with St. Bernard of Clairvaux as one of their great members of that community. The cross stands as the world turns. How true that is. As generation upon generation goes and as world history and events take their course, there is something and somebody that we can cling to for our anchor of hope, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. It was three years ago this past Tuesday, on a day not unlike today, kind of rainy and dreary and gray skies, when Pope Francis entered the square of St. Peter's with nobody around him hardly. It was a few weeks into the pandemic, and there was a simple crucifix in front of the altar outside on the front porch of St. Peter's Basilica, which usually when the Pope is there is filled with thousands and thousands of people. And there he prayed silently as the world was beginning to face a big storm that we knew very little about at that point in time. And yet as the world turns, the cross stands firm. The cross helps us get through so many of the storms in life. Storms that we face each and every day and at different seasons in life as well. Storms that we could describe when we're waiting for a health diagnosis that's uncertain. Storms when we're searching for meaningful employment. Storms when we're just filled with worries and preoccupations about children in our family or grandchildren and those who have many perhaps walked away from the faith and we're worried about them. Storms that as well about the, the past, the present and the future in the church and in world events. 
All of us encounter these different sources of turmoil in storms in our life, one point or another. Even when things seem tranquil, we never know, right, what tomorrow brings. And yet we're filled with hope as believers because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's what we celebrate this week that we call Holy Week, which begins today. Because in our gospel, at the beginning of Mass, at the back of the church, in the passion narrative we heard from the Gospel of Matthew this year, we see a full storm being unleashed on Jesus, the source of life and goodness and love itself. One of his best friends, Judas, sells him for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a market slave of the time of Jesus. And there's something just really just horrible about that whole scene from start to finish. How could somebody be so close to Jesus for those three years and witness so much of his inner life do such a horrible thing? We have Peter's denial, the three times in which a little servant girl, a most unthreatening person in the world, approaches him and asks him simple questions, and he denies that he even knows Jesus three times. The other disciples, too, flee. I wonder what Jesus was thinking then, what was going through his mind and heart as our Lord and Savior. And then we have Pontius Pilate's simple indifference to Jesus' presence in his court, even after his wife warns him that she's been experiencing vivid dreams, that this is an innocent man and not to get involved in this whole situation. He's simply indifferent and abuses his power to take away that innocent life. And then right to the bitter end, we hear the mockery of soldiers, chief priests, bandits in the crowd, mocking, spitting, and yelling at Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. And yet, in the face of all of that sin and blatant evil that has revealed itself and shown itself to Jesus, he remains anchored and persevering in the Father's love for him. How serene and how kind of just this sense of an anchor of hope and love Jesus is in the midst of it all. The two Gospels begin and end with two storms, specific kind of storms here, earthquakes. The first begins when Jesus enters Jerusalem and the crowds are hailing him, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we remember that word Hosanna means save us. It's the kind of yell that we would have if we were drowning, if we were floundering, if we were stuck in no way and crying out for help with no way out, that that Hosanna would be something that we would have said in the language of the Hebrew people. And here in this time, we hear that as Jesus entered Jerusalem and the crowds are acclaiming him, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? We don't get quite full impact of that line, the whole city was in turmoil. The actual word in Greek is seismo, from where we get the word seismic activity. That's the word for turmoil there. So it's not like, well, it's a bit chaotic, there's some traffic jams in the city streets, it's a little weird here today. The whole city is shaken by this presence of the Lord God coming in, and people don't recognize him. People of the crowds were saying in Jerusalem, who is this? And they were responding, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. It's the same way Matthew began his gospel with the journey of the wise men from the east. When they came to Jerusalem and said they're coming here to worship the newborn king of the Jews, 
The answer of King Herod and everybody was, who is this? We don't know who he is. Who is this newborn king of the Jews? And even after Jesus did all these miracles and healings and preaching, so many people still did not know him in the large capital city of Jerusalem. This shows us at this first storm, this first earthquake, turmoil in the city, how God comes always so humbly and unassuming into our world and into our lives, respecting always our freedom to come to him and never forcing or imposing himself upon us. He invites us, as he does, and wouldn't we say the Hosanna and the highest before communion today at the Eucharistic table, he comes humble once again under the appearance of bread and wine in the Eucharist, and how so many in our world still are unable to see Jesus present there and might not even know that he is so real and present in the sacraments of our church, particularly the Eucharist. And then finally, the second earthquake at the time of Jesus' death. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and now the English translation gets it very well here. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Now when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, truly this man was God's son. It's only after that earthquake and after that storm that people come to true faith in knowing that this is God's son. This is the Lord our Savior whom we are longing for and whom every human heart desires to be saved and to receive life from. Jesus the Lord. It's only sometimes after storms that we come to a true knowledge and deeper faith of God at work in our life and in the midst of the storms of life. Remember Elijah in the Old Testament that it was only after the earthquake that his ears and heart were attuned to hear God speak to him in the sheer silence that followed. Remember it was only when the apostles were being tossed in the actual storm on the Sea of Galilee and that Jesus came into that storm walking on water, that they recognized who he was as he told them, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, and he calmed the storm. And so this Holy Week, whatever is filling our minds and hearts with worry, with anxiety, with preoccupations, with any of those storms personally or in the church or in the world that we're kind of being plagued with, and being kind of burdened with, we remember the cross stands as the world turns. There is somebody who can lead us through the storm, who's going to lead us through this week, and that's Jesus, our Savior. Let us follow him closely this week with all of the liturgies given to us, with all the ways we can enter into times of prayer so that we know that he indeed stands strong with us this coming week and every day of our life.